The first reading for this All Saints Day is from Hebrews chapter 11. And I invite you to participate as outlined in your bulletin. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By faith, Noah when warned about things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. By faith, the people of Israel passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By faith, Gideon and Barak, Samson and Japheth, David and Samuel, and the prophets conquered kingdoms and administered justice. They shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames. Others were tortured, imprisoned, stoned, and put to death by the sword. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The second reading is from the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter, beginning at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have been washed, or they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, 
and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel is according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I noted at the beginning of the service, the chancel is adorned with banners that represent the various heroes of the faith, or some of the heroes of the faith, the 12 disciples, and I think there's one here for St. Paul as well, so the 13th apostle as well. Yes, today we remember the heroes of the faith, and we heard about some of those heroes of the faith in the Old Testament lesson, where many live by faith. And they never got to see that day when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came into this world. But of course, now that they're in the church triumphant, they, are surround, they, they surround the throne where the Lamb who was slain for them now resides, and they reside with Him. But on All Saints Day, I also like to take a moment to think about the lesser-known heroes of the faith. People like our moms and our dads, our brothers, our sisters, fellow church members, People who believed in Christ and who shared his love and forgiveness throughout their life, in their life. So today I want to focus our attention on some lesser-known heroes. And I want to, first of all, start off by just reminding us of Lois and Eunice. Lois and Eunice were the grandmother and mother of Timothy to whom Paul writes two letters, and Timothy was one of the companions of Paul along some of the missionary journeys. But these are women who typically aren't put on a banner, but they certainly deserve it because they shared their faith with young Timothy. Listen to what Paul said when he wrote his epistle to Timothy. He said, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. You've learned it from Lois and Eunice, your grandmother and mother. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. 
So in this message today, I want to focus on ordinary saints, if I can put it that way. And I'm going to focus on three saints. Two who are living and one who dies, who is in the church triumphant. I'm going to share with you a fictional story that I've written. It's about a mom and a dad and their son, Timothy. Well, the sun was beginning to rise in the east. The early morning sunlight shone through the kitchen window. Still dressed in her nightgown, she sat at the kitchen table, sipping the freshly brewed coffee, doing what she had done every morning since it had arrived. For months, four months had passed since it mysteriously showed up on the kitchen table. The it was a soiled letter that she now clutched in her hand. The body oils from her fingers had stained the missive. Tear-stained mascara smudged the edges. As she began to read the letter yet again, and by now she had memorized every single word of it, she shuddered. She shuddered as the events of the worst day of her life flooded into her mind. She trembled again as she heard yet again the screeching tires, the thud of a body impacted by a car, the shrieks of neighborhood children, the newsflash delivered by eight-year-old Connor, Tim's been hit by a car. Images hurtle into her mind of Tim's battered and bruised and bleeding body lying broken on the pavement. She remembers the agonizing faces of her neighbors who stood in shocked silence, but quietly thanking God that it was not their child who stood in, who, whose limp body was being wheeled into the ambulance by paramedics. How could she ever forget the screams of the ambulance siren as it pleaded with other cars to get out of the way? She had replayed in her mind the hours that she spent at the hospital, the whirlwind of activity as the ER team went into action, desperately trying to give her son a second chance at living. She remembered the lonely, endless seconds as she paced in the corridor, the sobs that flowed as she collapsed into her husband's arms, the horror of laying awake at night, listening to the machines pumping air in and out of her son's lungs. And she remembered the calm but numbing voice of the doctor. I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. The injury Timothy sustained to his head has caused irreparable damage. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. Timothy hardly had any time. He was only 10 years old, for goodness sake. He was only beginning to spread his wings. We were only beginning to really get to know him. And she remembered. She remembered sitting by his bed in the hospital room, praying, weeping, pleading with Timothy to open his eyes, bartering with God to extend the life of her son, sleeping fitfully as the beep, beep, beep of the heart monitor pounded in her head, she remembered reading Timothy, his favorite Bible story, singing his favorite hymns and songs, reliving every moment of his short life from the first time that she heard him cry in the delivery room to feeling his newborn toes between her fingers 
as she counted to make sure that he had all ten of them. She remembered the late night feedings and his cooing sounds as she hummed to him lullabies and hymns. She remembered his first birthday when he painted his face with chocolate icing. She remembered his first steps, his first boo-boo when his head creamed off the sharp edge of the coffee table, his first day at school, his first piano recital, so many firsts. But then she remembered the hall of feeling that welled up within her when it dawned on her that there'd be no more firsts for her son Timothy. Oh Lord, if you've taken the sting out of death, then why does Tim's death hurt so much? As the early morning sun warmed the kitchen, she shivered as she pictured kissing Timothy for that last time before his heart monitor beeped no more. Time had stood still since that day. She was numbed. Her life was lived in grayscale. The spark and the energy that had once electrified her home had been drained. And as the days turned into months, she and her husband had begun to drift further and further apart into their own world of grief. And as the pain and the sadness of sorrow broke their hearts, a barrier formed between them. But then it, the letter, had arrived. It was a letter from Timothy. It was this letter that she now clutched in her hands as she took yet another sip of coffee. It was Tim's letter that she now began to read. Dear Mom and Dad, More than six months has passed since we hugged and kissed goodbye. Actually, it was more of a, see you later, Mom, I'm going out to play with Connor, love you, as the door slammed behind me. I'm sure these months have seemed like an eternity to you, but for me, they've been but of the briefest moment. I'm told that you're consumed with sadness, tormented by regrets, numbed by your anger, exhausted from weeping, obsessed with the past, brokenhearted. The Lord has allowed me, he's allowed me to send you this letter to remind you that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And I also want to assure you that when I was with you, you gave me the most essential gift of all, for which I'm eternally grateful. Oh, I know you love me. You whispered your love in my ears as you rocked me to sleep in the dead of night. The long hours that you spent at work put food on the table and shelter over our heads and clothes on our backs, and you made those dreaded piano lessons possible. Mom, do you recall what you used to hum or sing to me in the middle of the night? You would sing or hum, I'm but a stranger here. Do you remember the verses, verses 2 and 3 of that hymn, Mom? What though the tempest rage, heaven is my home. Short is my pilgrimage, heaven is my home. And time's wild wintry blast soon shall be overpassed. I shall reach home at last, heaven is my home. Therefore I murmur not, heaven is my home. Whate'er my earthly lot, heaven is my home. 
and I shall surely stand there at my Lord's right hand. Heaven is my fatherland, heaven is my home. Mom and Dad, short was my pilgrimage on earth, shorter than I had ever hoped. But the tempest raged, the wild's wintry blast. They're a thing of the past for me. I'm home now. I'm living in the presence of our Savior, surrounded by angels and archangels and with all the saints, including Nana and Papa. Heaven is my home. From early on, you both taught me to pray. I recollect one time when Mom said to me, Timothy, instead of always asking God for something in your prayers, remember to say an occasional thank you for the things that God has given to you. And I responded to Mom saying, well, what should I be thankful for? To which you made a list, Mom, a long list. You said, well, how about your family, your health, your this house, the food on the table, your friends, your school, your church, your piano lessons, and the list went on and on. And that night as I knelt beside my bed, I prayed, thanks, God. Thanks, God, for everything Mommy said, including those piano lessons. Amen. Okay, I realize I was a slow learner, but you taught me to talk with God. You taught me the Lord's Prayer. You taught me that I could talk with God just like I talked with you. But I could talk with Him anytime, anywhere, and in every circumstance. And so I talked with Him when I was frightened, when I was thankful, when I was sad, when I was sorry, and when I knew that someone was ill in need of prayer. The prayers of a child can be pretty simple, but you encourage me to pray often with boldness and confidence. And Dad, oh, how I cherish those nights when you were at home and you would sit when you would sit on the edge of my bed. And even sometimes you would snuggle under the covers with me and you would read me a Bible story making that story come alive. You made those stories dance with life and that life danced within my mind and my heart. You would finish one story and then I would exclaim, tell me another one, Daddy. And after the third or fourth story, you would tuck me under my covers, you'd kiss me on my forehead and you would say, no more tonight, you need your beauty sleep. Dad, do you remember... Do you remember my favorite Bible story? I made you retell it again and again and again. Yep, you're right. It is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Oh, you found a way of making Martha's and Mary's grief my own. You and I would wail and, loud so, wail and weep so loud like the mourners at Lazarus' funeral that mom would yell up the stairs, keep it down up there, you two, you're going to wake the dead. Little did she know that that's what was about to happen. I mean, you described, Dad, so vividly the dead body of Lazarus that the foul odor of a four-day-old corpse seemed to fill my bedroom. And as you told the story, you would take the role of Jesus and I would take the role of Martha. And I didn't mind playing the role of a woman. As Jesus, you would say, your brother will rise again. And I would reply in my Martha voice, I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. And we would both giggle. We'd giggle for a moment at my high-pitched voice. But then in all seriousness, you would resume the role of Jesus and you'd say, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then the favorite part of that story was the next step that we would do. My favorite part of that story wasn't what you might expect. It wasn't when Jesus calls forth Lazarus from the grave and Lazarus comes out of that grave wrapped in his burial cloths, although that is pretty awesome. No, my favorite part of the story is when you would look me in the eyes and you would say, or you would ask, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life and that even though you will die one day, you will live? And I in my Martha voice with all my heartfelt conviction that I can muster would exclaim, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Dad and Mom, the Lord placed that confession on my lips and that faith and that hope in my heart through you through the hymns and the songs that you taught me, through the prayers that we recited, through the Bible stories you recounted and reenacted, through the Sunday school and worship service you took me to every Sunday, through the yearly celebration of my baptismal birthday as we lit my baptismal birthday candle. And you used the Bible to correct me, to encourage me, to guide me, to teach me who Jesus is and what he did for me and how I'm saved because of his life on, the, on earth and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus really is the resurrection of life, mom and dad. And those who believe in him as their Savior have everlasting life. I know. Because I'm in heaven. Heaven is my home. Mom, I know that you laid awake in the hospital room listening to the machines pumping air through my lungs. I know you both lingered at the cemetery long after others had left and you gazed in disbelief at the soft ground that covered my casket, the casket that contains my body but not my soul. I know you have sobbed in the middle of the night and I know that you've sobbed in the middle of the day and asked, why, what for, what purpose does Timothy's death serve? And I don't have all the answers to those questions, even from this side of heaven. But do you remember when I flung a rock through the front of the window with my slingshot? Mom, you were angrier than a hornet. You yelled, what in the world were you doing and thinking, Timothy? And I responded, I was pretending to be David, and I missed Goliath. Mom, I saw the smile begin to form on your face, even though you sent me to my room to have me think about what I had done. And I did think. But not about flinging that rock through that window with my slingshot, no. I thought about David standing up to Goliath. And now, Mom and Dad, I want you. Yes, I want you to think about David and Goliath. Death and the sadness that comes with death can look a lot like Goliath. In death's presence, we fear and we tremble. We have Goliath-like terror. We have Goliath-like phobias. But David trusted that God would slay Goliath. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and I will cut off your head. And that's what David did. By the power and the might of the Lord Almighty, 
Goliath never had a fighting chance. Mom and Dad, the Lord Almighty has beheaded the mighty Goliath that we call death. Death never had a chance against God's Son, Jesus. The person who you taught me to to place my faith in, to love and to hope in, death has been slain by Jesus. It's true. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead vanquished the grim reaper once and for all. And as a result of Jesus' triumphant victory, eternal life with God is mine and it's yours too. Many people have told you that my life was cut short. That I died in the, well, before the prime of my life. In a way, that, that is true. My life was cut short. I'll never experience those teenage years. I'll never drive a car or kiss a girl or attend university or fall in love, fall in love or give you the joy of being a nana and a papa. But even though my life on earth was brief, my life in heaven has only begun. And I can honestly say, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Maybe as you read this letter, you look at that picture on the wall, that picture that was taken on on the ninth Christmas that I celebrated with you. That picture was taken just before we went to Christmas Day service. And do you remember how happy I was? Well, I can honestly say I'm happier now. Honest. It's true. Cross my heart. Hope to. Well, you know what I mean. One thing I've learned when I arrived at Heaven's Gate is that you're not asked whether you made the honor roll or whether you took the first place in the music festival or whether you're popular at school or whether you made the sports team or whether or not you had all the toys that you've ever wanted. No, those don't mean a hill of beans, mom and dad. No, the heavenly hosts, they greet you at the heaven's gate and they look for your name in the book of life to see if your name is there. And you know what? They found my name in that book of life. It read, Timothy, baptized June 18th, 2009. That's when you dressed me in the baptismal gown, that same baptismal gown that Dad had worn when he was baptized 34 years earlier. And you took me to St. Paul's and Pastor Schaefer poured water over my head and said, I baptize you, Timothy, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I don't remember that day, except for the pictures that you've shown me, Mom and Dad, but, for I was only a few weeks old, but I don't need to remember that day because God remembers that day. That day, God adopted me into his family. He clothed me in the robe of Jesus' forgiveness And he made me an heir, promising me everlasting life. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for having me baptized. Thank you for cultivating my faith in Jesus. Thank you for providing me for the day, for, for preparing me for the day of my death, which is really the first day of the rest of my life. I look forward to seeing you in our heavenly home, patiently awaiting your arrival. But there's no rush, for we'll spend eternity together. Your son, Timothy.
while tears streamed down her face, as they did every morning. These were not tears of sorrow, but tears of joy. She folded the letter and she put it back in the cupboard. She caught herself humming, I'm but a stranger here. She felt re-energized by the sun. The bird's song seemed to join the melody that was in her heart. She looked at Timothy's portrait on the wall and he looked so happy, he looked so full of life, and now she could only imagine how happy and full of life he really is. Yes, Timothy is gone, and there's a void in her life, and there will be till the day that she dies. But Timothy is not dead. He is alive. He is with his heavenly Father and with his Savior Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit. He is surrounded by the angels, choirs. He's with all the saints. He's with Martha and Mary and Lazarus and David and Moses and Elijah and Elisha and the Twelve. And yes, he's even with his Nana and Papa, who he never had the chance to know on earth, but whom he's getting to know in heaven. And our Timothy is waiting for us there. We will feel his embrace again someday. Oh, the wisdom of a 10-year-old saint when he sees life on earth from the perspective of life in heaven. Timothy is right. We do not grieve as those who have no hope.